we'll just start at verse 12, all right? Uh, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men, because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of, of Adam's transgression. He is a prototype of the coming one. Okay, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men, because all sinned. Here we see a corporate solidarity of sin through Adam. Men became sinners by nature after Adam's sin. All sin, it says, in Adam, which means God seen us in Adam. When Adam sinned, everybody sinned. There was a change in man's nature from birth, not just in his actions. So there was a change in our nature from birth, not just in our behavior. So this is known in the theological world as original sin. We are sin born as sinners from nature. All right. And Adam and Eve could only pass on the nature they had. And after they sinned, they had a sinful nature. So that's all they could pass on. We could only be like them because they sinned, and we are their posterity, if you will. So we're going to look at a few scriptures that, that quote-unquote, prove this in a minute. Adam is our federal head, all right, when it comes to sin, which means a federal head is somebody who represents or stands in for somebody else. So Adam is our federal head in creation and humanity and in sin. He was the first one to sin, and we just follow after him. He was our, our lead, if you will, in that. Okay? He's our federal head. He had a leadership role in the fall. A leadership role in the fall. And we are, we are not seen as separate individuals in relation to sin, biblically. We're not seen as separate individuals. You sin, I sin. We are seen as in Adam. We're going to see this throughout the verse. We are seen as sinners because of Adam's sin. We are in him. Therefore, we have the same nature. We are sinful people. So let's look at a couple scriptures that verify that. Romans chapter 51, verse, a very familiar scripture. And this is David after his sin with Bathsheba. All right, this is his prayer to God after his sin with Bathsheba. He says, against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. He's talking to God. He said, God, against you and you alone have I done this evil. Notice that he called it evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. You hear what he said? He said, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. So David knew he came out the womb a sinner. He said, I was born like this, Lord. This is, this is nothing that I... He said, I was born like this. Eve, uh, uh, Bathsheba wasn't the only one I wanted to sleep with. There was a bunch more I wanted to sleep with. And I was born like that. David is confirming with Scripture what God had already said. He said, against you and you alone. And notice, the sin was first of all against God. Whenever we sin, it's always against God first. Even when we sin against somebody else, but it's against God first as well as that person. David sinned against Bathsheba. But he said, against you alone. And you, and you read this, he never even mentioned Bathsheba's name. He said, against you and you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. God, you're right when you judge me. You pass sentence on me, you're right. I can't say that you're wrong about that. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Psalm 58, verse 3. The wicked go astray from the womb. Liars err from birth. Another one. He said, the wicked go astray from the womb, from birth. Liars err from birth. From, from beginning. From the moment they come out the womb. Those little cute little babies we see running around, they're a bunch of little sinners. <laughs> cute little sinners. who are going to grow up to be little... <laughs> We love them, and they're cute and beautiful, everything, but they're sinners. Amen. <laughs> I remember one of the churches I used to go to, the pastor was preaching on this verse, and he, talked, and he called babies sinners. There was a lady in the back who had an infant with her, and uh, he talked about how babies were sinners and blah, 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 and she got mad and offended, and I think she walked out. <laughs> but anyway, it's true. They were sinful, they were sinners. Anyway, Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, dead in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the, 
in that disobedient, the spirit of Satan, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Listen to what he says. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were spiritually dead, Paul says here. Dead people don't do nothing. He said, you were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked. He's talking to believers. He said, you previously walked like that. You used to walk like that. According to the ways of this world, this world system, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, Satan, the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all all previously lived among them, previously again, lived among them in our fleshly desires. Notice what he calls it, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. You did what you wanted in deed and thought, and were by nature children under wrath. God was angry, as others were also. So as we see here, we are by nature uh, children of wrath. Uh, Back to um, verse, oh wait, no, that's not it, sorry. There we go. Um, In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Okay, so first of all, he says, in this way, death spread to all men, and death is spiritual death, physical death, and eternal death. Every aspect of death was squashed when Adam sinned. We died physically, we died spiritually, and there is eternal consequence to that too. All right, and then verse 13, he says, in fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. In spite of the lack of a, law, of a written law, there was a law that was, that was still in effect, Okay, in spite of the lack of a a written law, the Ten Commandments or otherwise, there was a law that was still in effect, and that's what he says. He says sin was in the world before the law. Okay, Romans chapter 2. All those who sinned without the law were also perished without the law. Notice what he says. He says all those who sinned without the law Notice that he says they can still sin without the law. He said all those who sin without the law will perish without the law. You're not going to get away. He said all those who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So Gentiles will be, will be, will be sinned without the law, but Jew, and Jews will be sinned under the law, will be judged under the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be declared righteous. So he says, in spite of the lack of a written law, there's still a law that is in effect. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be declared righteous. So when Gentiles who do not have the law, listen to this, instinctively do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Did you hear that? He said, Gentiles who didn't have the law. God didn't give the law to the Gentiles, he gave it to the Jews. He said, but when the Gentiles who do not have the law, instinctively do what the law demands. They are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. We know some things are not wrong. Are wrong. We know. Instinctively, we know that it's wrong to murder. We don't need a law to tell us that. We know that. We know that it's wrong to lie. We know that it's wrong to, wrong to abuse. We know that instinctively. He said they do instinctively what the law demands. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. There's a law that's in effect still, even without the written law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. See that? It's written on their hearts. Their conscience confirmed this. When we do wrong, we feel guilty without a law. Our conscience, you know that was wrong. You shouldn't have done that. You need to apologize. We don't need nobody to tell us that, usually. He said, because our conscience does that. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their conscience confirmed this. Their competing thoughts will either accuse or excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through, through, through Christ Jesus. And sometimes our conscience will try to excuse us for what we did. Well, the reason I did that was because we try to justify our wrongdoing sometimes. And sometimes it will accuse you. You are a wretch. You are, you are so wicked. Your conscience sometimes will tell you that. Okay, so uh, let's look at a couple other verses. Romans chapter 7. 
Now, this is that chapter that we all hate to read because we all live here. <laughs> Paul wrestling with himself. Okay, I start, I don't want to read the whole thing. I'm starting at verse 18. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me. But there is no ability to do it. He said, I want to do right, but I just can't. For I do not do the things that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. He said, I'm, I don't want to do this, but I keep doing it for some reason. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin that lives in me. He's not excusing anything. He's saying, I'm, there's a sinful nature in me. I don't want to do this, but I got the sin thing in me that, that keeps prompting me to do the stuff I don't want to do. He said, now, if I do what I don't want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is a sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle or this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. He said, when I want to do what's good, evil is still present in me. I want to do what's good, but evil is sitting right there. We've seen the cartoon with the, with the, with the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. You know, <laughs> we all, we've all seen that. He said, that's what it's like. He said, when I want to do good, there's this evil saying, no, you should do this. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. I agree with what God said, that this is wrong. I agree with that in my inner self, my inner being. As a new creation especially, I agree with God's word. It's wrong to do that. I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body. He said, now, God has a written law. I joyfully with God's written law. He said, but I see a different law a different principle in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin. You hear that? In the parts of my body. He said, God's all said this, but there's a law in my, in my flesh, in my carnal nature, that's, that's combating, fighting with God's law. Galatians 6 is, uh, talks about uh, uh, the flesh and the spirit being contrary to one another, battling one another. You want to do right, but there's another, uh, another uh, uh, law, like he says, prompting you to do what's wrong. I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner. He, called, he said, I feel like a prisoner, like I'm in jail, to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Paul said, I am so jacked up. What a wretched man. And I've said that to myself so many times. <laughs> what a wretched man you are, Eddie. Who will rescue me from this dying body? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, exclamation point. He said, who's going to rescue me from this wrestle? He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ. He's a rescuer. So then with my mind, I myself am a slave to the law of God. I got to make up my mind to serve, to serve God and obey God's law. With my mind, I myself am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh to the law of sin. Your flesh will never, never obey God. Ever. <laughs> Your flesh, flesh is a slave to sin. When you got saved, your flesh was not happy. <laughs> he said, with my mind, I myself am a slave. But you see the wrestle, he said. He said, there's another law within my members. He's wrestling. There's a law of sin. Uh, but then he says, therefore... Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. No condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. We are not condemned. Because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Did you see that? The law that, the, the, that Paul was wrestling with over there, he says, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from that law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, it says, God did, it goes on to say in Romans 8, for what the law could not do, God did by sending Christ in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So we're set free from the power of sin. Do we still sin? Yes. Does it have dominion over us? No. We've been set free. Let me go back to... Uh, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. 
Let me, let me back up a minute. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to one's account when there is no sin. Uh, if I trespass on private property, I've committed a trespass. But if there's a sign that says, private property, keep out, and I trespass, I become a transgressor. You see the difference? Because if I trespass, but, but there's a sign that says private property, keep out, and I still trespass, I become a transgressor. Because transgression is deliberate. There was a sign that I purposely disobeyed. To trespass means a false step. It's a blunder. Transgression is to go beyond. It's overstepping, and it's deliberate. So before the law, their sins were not counted as infractions of the law. They were still sins, but they were not counted as infractions of the law. Okay? Um, a transgressor is one who stands beside, one who oversteps to prescribe the limit. There's the prescribed limit in the law. In the sign, it says, private property, do not trespass, and you still do it, you transgress. Just like the sign says, speed limit 55, and you go 65, you've transgressed the laws of speeding. <laughs> the law says 55, and you, with a lead foot, go beyond that, you transgress the speeding limit. And officers Fuller and Gus said, amen. <laughs> we got two cops in the room that would agree with that. <laughs> You've transgressed. Okay? All right. Uh, Romans chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, speak to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. You can't be justified by keeping the law. No one will be justified by that. Because knowledge of sin comes through the law. Knowledge of sin comes through the law. Remember, before the law, they were not, they were, they were, the sins were not counted as infractions of the law. They were, tre they were trespassers. Okay? Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Romans 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Because the law, is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. Paul said the only reason I knew there was sin was because the law came. Okay, follow me. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. The only reason I know that's a sin is because the law says, do not covet. I was doing it and it was trespasses, but the law revealed that to me. And sin, covetousness, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. When I saw the law said, do not covet, all of a sudden, I wanted to covet everything that I saw. <laughs> and we can relate to that you know, with, with our kids. When you tell your kids, don't touch that, what do they do? The first thing they want to do is... Exactly the opposite of what you told them. Exactly the opposite of what you told them. Because the law produces that in us. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. We just read that. Once, I was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. The law killed me. The law, when you look at the Ten Commandments and you look at what God requires, you say, man, I'm supposed to keep all ten of those all the time. And thought, word, and deed. I'm in trouble. The commandment, for a prophet of the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, I was cool as long as there wasn't no law. That was cool. He said, when the commandment came, sin sprang to life. All of a sudden, sin just sprung up 
even more so. And I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. God gave the commandment not to kill you, but to show you how sinful we are. We're going to look at that in a minute. We're going to show you how sinful you are. It was meant for life, but it resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, sin saw thou shalt not covet, and thou, I want to do that. Thou shalt not steal. I want to take, that's, I want to take that. The sinful nature of you, all of a sudden wanted to do everything that it said don't do. That's why Paul said, I felt like a prisoner. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, it killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just is good. The problem is not the law. The problem is me. The problem is not the law. God created the law. He wrote it. So there can't be anything wrong with it. The commandment is holy and just and good. The problem is, I'm unholy, I'm unjust, and I'm ungood. We are in a, in a dilemma, church. A serious dilemma. Before this, the law, sin was not counted as the fractions of the law, but they still died without the law. They still died. Adam died. Before, between Adam and Moses, there was no law, but people still died. They still died from Adam to Mo- The law didn't come until Moses. But from Adam to Moses, they were still dying. So death must have come from another source other than the law, right? And that is proof that God counted them guilty on the basis of Adam's sin. The proof that they died before the law was, is proof, the fact that they died before the law is proof that God counted them guilty in Adam without the law. If that's the case, Gentiles could never, would have never been charged with anything, but they were. They could never commit sin, quote-unquote, but they did. God called them sinners too. They weren't not sinners just because they didn't have the law, not, didn't have the law, no. The fact that people still died is proof that God counted them guilty on the basis of Adam's sin. All right. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, what I just talked about, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. What does that mean? They did not have the will of God made known to them by revelation. See, Adam knew what God had said. He told him, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had a, a direct command from God not to do that. But see, we didn't have that command, but we still sin. That's what it means that we didn't sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. We didn't have to because we'd inherited his nature. So even though we didn't violate a direct command like Adam did, we still committed sin. And, it, and that does not exempt Adam's posterity from condemnation. Children, again, example. Children are born sinners. Why? They didn't do anything. But their nature... They grow up to, though. Let them live long enough. Give them a couple months. <laughs> Give them a couple months. They'll show you exactly <laughs> what their nature is. <laughs> Just hold on. It's coming. All right. He is a prototype of the coming one. What is he talking about? This is, this is Paul's typological argument that Adam was the head. He's a prototype of the coming one, which is talking about Jesus, the coming one. All right? So... If Adam is a head, then Jesus is a head. If Adam passed on something, then Jesus passed on something. And the question is, what? If Adam is our federal head in sin, then Jesus is our federal head in holiness and righteousness and salvation. Adam passed on a sinful nature. Jesus is going to pass on righteousness, justification, and forgiveness. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. All right. Romans 15 to 17. But the gift is not like the trespass. All right? The gift is not like the trespass, Adam's trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, 
the one man's trespass. It goes back to Adam again. If by the one man's trespass, Adam, the many died, we all died, how much more, I love that, we're going to see that a couple of times, how much more the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? For if by the one man's trespass, because of Adam we all die, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ? There's two men. There's Adam and there's Christ. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. Those are the only two options you got. You are either in Adam or you are either in Christ. So, if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ? Verse 16, and the gift is not like the one man's sin. The gift is not, because from one sin came the judgment. Listen, the one sin, Adam's disobedience, Adam's sin, came the judgment, resulting in condemnation for everybody. But from many trespasses, all of our sins since then came the gift resulting in justification. Adam's sin, Adam's trespass caused death. Jesus' is, uh, great, how much more have the grace, God's grace, overflows to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment. One man's sin brought judgment and condemnation. Uh, many trespasses through the gift brought justification. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation for everybody, but from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. You see the contrast? You're making the contrast between Adam and Jesus. Adam brought death. Jesus brings justification. Jesus brings life. Adam brings condemnation. Jesus, Jesus brings justification. Adam brings guilt. Jesus brings forgiveness. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, there it is right there again, death came through a man, we all die because of Adam. For, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. The contrast again. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ, all will be made alive. In Adam, all die. It says, in Adam, all die, not like Adam, all die. See, Pelagians, which is, a, which is a, a, a heresy, a false doctrine, teaches we are not born sinners. They deny original sin. They say, we just sin like Adam. We don't inherit Adam's sinful nature. But that's not what the Bible says. We just read it. That's not what the Bible says. He said, we are in Adam, not like Adam. Death came through one man, a man. We all die because of what Adam did, not just because of what we do. We died in Adam. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes to a man, Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Adam's bring, Adam brings death, Jesus brings life. Contrast. He's making a contrast throughout this whole verse, these verses. He's making a contrast between those in Adam and those in Christ. Uh, now let's go to Romans verse uh, 18. So then, as a result of all I just said, Paul is saying, so then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everybody. He repeats it again. Through one trespass, Adam's. Through one trespass, there is condemnation for everybody, everyone. So also through one righteous act, there is life-giving justification for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. How clear, how much clearer can he make it? He says that many were made righteous, not innocent or, or, or sinless. He said that many will be made righteous, not innocent or sinless. 
We're not sinless or innocent, but we're declared righteous in Christ. Big difference. Many were made righteous through one man's obedience. Adam disobeyed, Christ obeyed in everything that he did. One trespass leads to condemnation for everybody. The other righteous act leads to justification for everybody. One man's obedience made us all sinners. Another man's uh, obedience made us all righteous. The contrast again. Adam and Christ. Adam and Christ. And why does he say everyone? He says, so then as to one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through righteous for one righteous act, there is life-giving justification for everyone. Does that mean everybody's saved? Is he teaching universalism here? No, he's not. No, he's not. And we're going to see that in one, in one minute. Um, for just as through one man disobedience to many were made righteous, so also through the one man's sin, obedience will be made righteous. So when he says everyone, Paul is combating the tendency of Jews to see themselves as better than Gentiles. The Jews thought that, you know, they consider Gentiles dogs. So, so all throughout these verses, and even in the book of Romans, Paul is, 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 is showing that Gentiles can be saved too. And so he's saying, everyone Jews, not just us. He said, everybody can be made righteous. He's not teaching universalism. He means Jew and Gentile is when he says everyone. He's not talking about everybody on the earth teaching universalism. That's not what he's doing here. As far as salvation is concerned, there's no difference, Paul is saying. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Galatians 3.28. There is therefore now no difference between Jew, Gentile, bond, free, slave, male, female, all of that. That's Romans 3.28. He said there ain't no difference, Jews. Gentiles can come in. We see that in the book of Acts when, when, Paul, when God had to deal with Peter, you know, when we went to Cornelius' house and, and all of that. He had to say, listen, Gentiles can be saved too, y'all. This ain't just for us. And we Gentiles say, amen. <laughs> amen. Thank you, Lord. For just as through one man's disobedience to many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience to many will be made righteous. Uh, the law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. The law was made and given to show and expose sin. Uh, and we saw that earlier uh, when, when Paul, in Romans 7, if it had not been for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. The law was made to, 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 to show sin. And once the law was given in particular, ignorance was no form of defense. There was, there was not a lack of knowledge with people with sin. There was a lack of ability and willingness. There's not a lack of knowledge with us when it comes to sin. There's a lack of ability and willingness to obey God. We, by nature, don't want to obey God. By nature, when we, when we, we by nature, and thank God for, for His Spirit and, and change. See, that, that's, why, that's why being born again is such a miracle. That's why salvation is such a miracle, because it changes our nature. It changes our very nature to want to obey God. There was a time, you remember when, you didn't want to hear nothing about the Bible, nothing about God, nothing. And all of a sudden, one day, however God, however God drew you, and he, deals with, he draws all of us in different ways, however God drew you, the only reason you are here is because before the foundation of the world, God says, God called you. God says, Frank, come here. Ford, come here. Crystal, come That's the only reason you're here. Because before the, before the foundation of the world, God called you. And he changed your nature. And now you want to live for him. There's a change in nature. Not just, Christianity is not a, a behavior modification religion. <laughs> It's not a, a behavior modification model. Your behavior will be modified, but that's not, what it's, that's, that's not the root of it. You are modified because your nature's changed. Your behavior changes because your nature changes. We don't need to be, listen, when it comes to, we don't need to, be, to put more effort in obeying God. We need to be rescued. We need to be rescued from ourselves. 
not put in more effort, and we can get caught up in this, and I know I have, get caught up in this, if I could just be more obedient, if I could just try harder to obey God, if I just try harder to obey God, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to get frustrated. We need to be rescued from ourselves. Ephesians says, God made us alive. We didn't decide to come alive. It says, God made us alive. And we talk, and I understand what we mean when we do this, we make choices, we say things like, I chose with a song, you know, I've decided to follow Jesus, an old hymn that we used to sing, I decided to follow Jesus, and we choose this. And there's a, a, a truth to that in a sense, but the only reason you decide, because God has already decided. The only reason you decide to follow Jesus, because God decided to choose you before the foundation of the world. If he hadn't, you would never decide. There is none righteous, no, not one. We before we can say we hate God. That's the only reason we are here, because God chose us before the foundation of the world. We don't need to put in more effort. We need to be rescued. Okay, the law was given to show sin. Galatians 3, and I'm almost done. Why then was the law given? So Paul's answering the question. People ask that. Why then was the law given? It was added because of transgressions, because of our sin. It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise would ma- was made would come. Who's that talking about? Jesus. The seed, not seeds, plural, one seed. God told Abraham, through, through you, all the nations of the, of the world will be blessed. It was added because of transgressions until the seed, Jesus, to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not for just one person, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. Paul's answering questions he knows people are going to have, Jews in particular. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promise? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would certainly be by the law. If there was a law that was given that could save us and give us life, then Jesus wouldn't have to die. He'd just give us a law and you keep it and, you, and you're good. But that's not what happened. There was no law that could do that. He said, if a law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would certainly be by the law. But the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power. Everything, not just everybody, everything under sin's power. The Bible says in Romans, the whole world, creation is moaning and crying because of sin. Not just people, the trees are crying. When y'all gonna end this thing? But the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe, not those who keep the law. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law. Before the faith came, we were confined under the law. We were imprisoned under the law. Imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ. It was our tutor, our schoolmaster, some verses. It was our tutor. You know, you have a tutor. Until the teacher comes, you have a tutor to teach you. He said the law was like a tutor. He said the law was then was our guardian, our tutor, until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. To hold us over there until we can be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. I don't need the guardian anymore. I don't need the law anymore. Jesus is here. I don't need the law anymore. For you all are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are children of God because of our faith in Christ, not because we keep the law. That's important to remember. To make, it's so important to make, to make these distinctions and understand these distinctions that he's making here. Because you can think that you can earn this through keeping the law, and you can. That's his whole point. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. Um, the law was given. It was added because of transgressions until the seed, Jesus, to whom the promise was made, would come. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When this corruptible is closed with incorruptibility, this is Paul preaching here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, talking about the resurrection. When this corruptible is closed with incorruptibility and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Look at what Jesus did. The saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death has been swallowed up in victory on the cross. 
says, oh, death, where is your victory? Where you at now, death? What Adam uh, 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 gave to us, death, Jesus, where is it at now? After the cross. Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Where is your sting, death? You ain't got no effect on my people. Where is your sting? Now, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Listen, the power of sin is the law. When I read the law, the power of sin, thou shalt not covet. I want, I want everything. The power of sin is the law. The law kills. But the Spirit brings life, it says in 1 Corinthians. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The power of sin is the law. But, thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand what Jesus did? Adam messed up everything for us. But Jesus said, don't worry, I got you. With everything that Adam messed up, Jesus cleaned up. Everything that Adam messed up, Jesus came and cleaned up. The person that I was supposed to be, the, Adam, the person that Adam was supposed to be, Jesus ended up coming and being in our place. Everything. See, that's why the resurrection is so powerful. Without the resurrection, none of this means anything. If Jesus hasn't resurrected from the dead, none of this means absolutely nothing. We are dead in our sins, Paul said, and we are to be most pitied by anybody, most people. Pity, pitiful people if there is no resurrection. I love what Tim Keller says here. He says, the gospel tells us you are more sinful than you ever dare to believe. Don't forget, don't forget this leads to license and permissiveness to what you might call liberalism. The gospel tells us you are more sinful than you ever dare to believe. We are worse than we think we are. And I don't mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I ain't done. We're going to end on a good note. <laughs> I ain't done. But you are worse than you think. I'm worse than I think I am. You know, we all have heard people say, I'm a pretty good person. And we understand what people say when they mean he's a good guy. We get that. We know good people, quote unquote, by earthly standards. But by biblical standards, you are worse than you think. We don't realize, we don't realize how serious, bad, ugly sin is. We don't. It's so bad, God killed his son to deal with it. Listen to that. God slayed his son on a cross just so he can talk to you. That's how serious sin is. You are worse than you ever dared to believe. The gospel also tells us you are more accepted in Christ than you ever dared hope. Did you hear that? You are more accepted in Christ than you ever dared to hope in spite of your sinful jacked upness. <laughs> All because of the cross. So we're not in despair. God knows how bad I am. But he loved me so much. He thought I was worth dying for. You are more accepted than you ever dared to hope for. Don't forget this leads to legalism and moralism. Without a knowledge of our extreme sin, the payment of the gospel seems trivial. Without, our extreme, without the knowledge of our extreme sin, the payment of the gospel seems trivial and does not electrify or transform us. Oh, that whole cross thing? Uh, I think God overdid it there. I don't think we were really that bad. That's child, that's cosmic child abuse. But without a knowledge of Christ completely debt satisfying life and death, the knowledge of sin would crush us or compel us to deny and repress it. I'm gonna read that again. Without a knowledge of our extreme sin, the payment of the gospel seems trivial and does not electrify or transform. But without a knowledge of Christ's completely debt-satisfying life and death, the knowledge of sin would crush us or compel us to deny and repress it. So you have both things going on. We are bad. We are horrible, sinful creatures. But God also redeemed us because we are made in his image and his likeness. 
And God said, because you're made in my image and likeness and I love you, I'm going to redeem you. Adam messed it up, but, but there's a second Adam coming. Jesus is known as the second Adam. The first Adam is not our head. The second Adam is. Don't ever forget that. The first Adam is not our head. The second Adam is. If you're in Christ. He says, oh, let me go back. Let me see if I can find this. Uh, Here it is, here it is. Uh, since by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace? Okay, first he says, uh, um, I mean, let me start at the beginning. For if by one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift of overflow to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ? And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation for everybody. Everybody gets condemned. Everybody. But for many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Okay, death reigned through that one man. Everybody dies. Everybody who's ever born. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace, not everybody receives the overflow of grace and the gift. It says those who receive it. So he cancels out universalism. He cancels it out. Although everybody dies and gets condemned, everybody doesn't receive the overflow of grace and the gift. You have to receive it. To as many as received him, to them gave he the the power, the authority to be called the sons of God, it says in John chapter 1, verse 12, to those that received him, not everybody. Universalism is not, everybody's not saved. Everybody is not going to heaven. Hell is not empty. I know that's not, you know, theologically correct in our culture, but hell is not empty. There are many people there, and many still yet to go. But, back to the positive note, what Jesus did for us in the gospel, and we get ready to take communion, what Jesus did for us in the gospel is he canceled Adam's action on our behalf. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all will be made alive. If you're in Christ, you've been made alive through the gospel. That's what the gospel is, church. Jesus came to, 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 to fix what Adam messed up in the garden. And there's a new heaven and a new earth coming, the Bible says in, in, in the book of Revelations, a new heaven. He says, I've seen heaven coming, coming down from, from, from heaven, a new world coming down, and God will dwell among them, the Bible says. Think about that. He's going to dwell among us. We don't know what that looks like or nothing, but just the fact that he said he's going to be in the midst of us. Better than. See, what Jesus did was better than what Adam did. Jesus's, his fix was better than Adam's mess up, <laughs> if I can say that. You get my point? What he did was better than what Adam messed up. How much more, he says, shall. God does exceedingly abundantly above. <laughs> his grace says, uh, uh, where sin abound, grace did much more abound. Much more abound. God has more grace than you got sin. He has more grace than you got sin, brother, sister. That's the reason I can, I can go to sleep at night. God got more grace than I got sin. Where sin did abound, grace did much more. How much more than what Adam did, God overdo. <laughs> so, we're going to take communion. And we're going to celebrate what Jesus did. He justified us. And we've heard that word a lot in this series in the book of Romans. He justified us. He, he treats us just as if we've never sinned. Wow, did you hear what I just said? Because of, he looks at us and treats us just as if, he treats me just as if I lived Jesus' life. And he treated Jesus like, like he lived mine and yours. So we're going to sing a song, and we're going to come back, and we're going to take communion.
Verse 20, the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through the gospel, we have eternal life because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because God loved us enough to redeem us. God always had a plan. Before the foundation of the world, the Bible says Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. Before Adam sinned, Jesus was slain. Before the foundation of the world. That's how awesome God is. He didn't wait for it to happen to do something about it. He did something beforehand. So as we celebrate tonight, as we take communion, we celebrate the victory at the cross, the victory over death, hell, and the grave. The victory over death, hell, and the grave through Jesus Christ. We are no longer in Adam, but now we are in Christ. We are no longer in Adam, we are in Christ. So Father, we thank you that as we partake today, we are in Christ, your Son, and we glorify you and thank you for it. Let us partake together. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We glorify you for your love, your mercy, and your grace, your life, health, and strength, your salvation, your sanctification, and your spirit that leads and guides us into all truth. Thank you, as always, for your word. Thank you, as always, for your word and taking the time to write it down. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We will be lost without it, but thank you for it. And we thank you for justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as we leave this place, whenever your presence, give us traveling mercies, bring us back at the appointed time. We'll give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.